Hello everyone and welcome to Living in This Queer Body, a podcast about barriers to embodiment and how our collective body stories can bring us back to ourselves. I'm Asha Panjuris and I'm really looking forward to this episode today. Before we get to the interview, I just want to thank first and foremost my listeners, but also the people who have been showing up and participating in the virtual workshops I've been hosting. I really can't express enough how powerful those experiences have been. And I guess you kind of have to just try it to see what it's like. Um, So if you are interested, I'm doing them monthly. And this coming month um, in December, I will be hosting a virtual workshop on December 8th from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, And if you can't make it uh, live, you can still sign up and get the recording. You can also consider signing up um, for a one-on-one session with me to get some support during this stress-filled season, because believe me, I feel it too, and we can ponder together about how to navigate this complex season. So the virtual workshop is called Queering the Holidays, And some of the questions that I have been asking myself and that we will be asking one another and thinking about together, how do we identify our needs when the demands of heteronormative colonial settler and patriarchal holiday discourses threaten our self-determination? How do we navigate caring for ourselves, our partners, and our friends during this holiday season? How do we nourish ourselves? How do we know how to nourish ourselves and what we want and what can we generate excitement about. So I do hope you join us. Uh, These have been very dynamic and interesting conversations and you can sign up for all of the workshops through the link in my Instagram bio at livinginthisqueerbody or at livinginthisqueerbody.com and there's a link to sign up. So on to our episode. This interview is with Savannah Knoop, and they are just a special person. It's an an interview with a wild, creative, inspiring, and deeply insightful artist and human. Um, In this interview, we talk about their wildlife as JT Leroy, their passion for Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and Savannah's complex relationship with their mom, amongst many other things. Savannah Knoop is a New York-based artist who engages in writing, performance, and object making. From 2009 to 2016, Knoop co-hosted a monthly queer audiovisual party, Womon. They received their BA at CUNY under the mentorship of Vito Acconci and their MFA at Virginia Commonwealth University in Sculpture and Extended Media. They have shown and performed at the Whitney, MoMA, the ICA Philly, Movement Research, Essex Flowers Gallery, and ACP in Los Angeles. In 2007, they published their memoir titled Girl, Boy, Girl, How I Became JT Leroy from Seven Stories Press, cataloging their experience of playing their sister-in-law's writing persona and avatar, J.T. Leroy. 
With director Justin Kelly, they adopted it into a feature-length film starring Kristen Stewart and Laura Dern. Savannah has studied dance and martial arts for over 20 years. They are currently a purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu under Marcelo Garcia. So you can find out a lot about Savannah and their work at savannahknoop.net. Um, that's S-A-V-A-N-N-A-H, knoop.net. And they also have an Instagram presence. Their Instagram handle is S-A-V-A-T-T-E. And I will put some links in the show notes to some of their most recent projects, which are really cool and interesting. Um, And also a link uh, to the film, the JT Leroy film that you can watch on iTunes and I think Amazon Prime too. Um, And you should check it out. And I really hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for joining me. And I hope to see some of you uh, during the Queering Holidays workshop coming up very soon. Savannah, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. It's good to have you. So I like to to start each episode with a question. Could you reflect on a time when you were younger, maybe one of your earliest memories of kind of understanding what it meant to have a body and any thoughts you had about that or messages you you remember receiving about that? I have this memory that I think I've it's kind of something that I've recently unearthed um Mm. but I think I was about seven or eight and I was walking home alone from school and my older sister's um friends were driving by and they honked and waved And I waved back, and then I remember thinking, as they were driving away, they don't know what a bad person I'm going to be. But Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm going to be, and in my mind, it was, I was going to end up a prostitute. And, or, you know, the other version was a spy for the wrong side, Mm. (laughs) which (laughs) was some, I mean, looking back on it, I was kind of astonished that I had any sense of either of those things at the time, but it was the cold war after all. Mm -hmm. So yeah, maybe it was um, television or, or whatever I'd seen out there, but yeah, so that's, Mm. that one keeps getting rolled around. Mm -hmm. How did, how did that kind of deep belief it sounds like you're still perplexed exactly how it it kind of came about but how did it how did it keep like playing out in different iterations in your you know your early childhood or did it did you kind of it sounds like it was a pretty strong a strong thought or feeling that you had yeah I think I mean it is it grounds into some sense of feeling like um an imposter (laughs) Mm. and also, yeah, I mean, 
something about disappointing others and how did it play out? I think it was like, I was always kind of in conflict with my mother in some way or another where I was like, you know, stealing my, my mom was a a health food addict. And, um, so I was like often stealing candy from stores. And I remember I, I stole a roll of, you know, pre-made cookie dough, like those rolls. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I stole that and hid it under my mattress or maybe in like a crook, a crack of the mattress in a plastic bag and was sort of, that was like my secret little, and she found it. And so I think it was things like that where it was like, I was always kind of stealing or lying to her (laughs) about Mm -hmm. this thing or another. And later it became about, you know, going out too late or where was I or, that sort of stuff. I think we had like a lot of, it was a dialogue with her a lot. And then some sort of feeling of, you know, feeling, having crushes on friends and this and that, and that was all coming together around the same time. But that was not really processed through that, those moments. And so that all came out sort of later in my psyche. Yeah, it's interesting. It's just interesting to hear you talk about how, you know, your relationship that that these certain incidents with your mother sort of reiterated or solidified some idea of you being like aberrant at an early age and that then I think this is like I mean, I don't mean to be reductive about your experience, but I think it's a kind of a common experience where a lot of you know, broadly speaking, a lot of queer people who, you know, sort of take messages that they receive. And then once there's like crushes or, you know, sort of sexual feelings or identity feelings around gender coming about, those messages get kind of layered on, you know, so you already, it sounds like you already had this sort of sense of yourself as like, possibly, you know, a prostitute or a spy or someone who stole or was, you know, like these, these sorts of things. I I don't know how much that kind of, you think in some ways that ended up shaping aspects of your, like your current gender sexuality expression. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good point. I do think it's, it's, it is so many layers that, and it's such a feedback loop, so it's hard to know right. which which part is coming from totally. where. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was it like for you to have a mother live in a household that was, what did you call her, a, like a health food? She was a health, kind of a health food addict. Addict. Yeah. Yeah. I called her a health food addict. Mm-hmm. Were you the, the, like the one in rebellion around that or was, were your siblings as well? Uh, my, so my sister was 10 years older. So mm. if she was in rebellion, it was sort of like way that I didn't understand. And then she did, she went off to school and I remember that very specifically feeling like we, oh, yeah, I had a T te- a we had a tag team and then suddenly yeah. I was alone with all, mm-hmm. <laughs> with, you know, so, and it was a sort of like, you know, my mother is, she's kind of, she's on her own 
trip. And um, but I remember her when we would sleep in in the summer. She would wake us up going, "Lazy girl." Mm. That's the way we woke up every morning. Right. <laughs> but you know, it was kind of like it was more fun when there was two of us, and then. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. So it was kind of like she's talking to a bird or something. Mm, yeah. Yeah. What did you, it sounds like you did. It's hard to know if it was rebellion or just a kind of like just something that was disapproved of by her, but you know, what did you find yourself doing in your teen years or like as a result of maybe feeling some kind of constriction or not seeing eye to eye, let's just say with, with your mom and her way of, her way of being. I mean, I think it was like a, just sort of, um, (laughs) I didn't expect to get kind of emotional about it, but, um, (laughs) Oh, I didn't want to do this. That's okay. Take your time. We were just kind of always in struggle. Mm. And in some kind of, like, it is a kind of um, battling all the time. Mm -hmm. In small things, but I think it came from where she was at at the time, which was we had been living in a city and then we moved to a suburb and there was kind of a profound discontent around her life and mm-hmm. how she'd gotten and ended up like there and, and ultimately raising me on her own. So I think mm-hmm. it was something about, you know, like a discontent that, I just, it was bad timing (laughs) or something. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Reacting to that, the kind of atmosphere of that aspect of your, your childhood and her, the way that you two were kind of in it together and maybe kind of alone in it in some ways, both of you. Right. It did did feel that way. Mm, mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in terms of, of leaving home and the choices you made after leaving home, how, how did you kind of find your way in terms of what resonated for you and what you've come to sort of enjoy or what has motivated you in your life? Because I think a lot of times, you know, I, at least in, in talking to many friends and people on this podcast, it's like this story of, of really not being given often <laughs> like of the, you know, I don't, I don't know anyone who actually was given, you know, the, the most attuned and expansive childhood, but you know, this idea of like sort of finally having the freedom of choice in a way. And I don't know if it felt that way for you, but yeah, maybe you could talk a little bit about some of the choices you have made um, in your later life. Yeah, so I was always studying dance and mm. um, got, I was, I've always loved taking dance classes, but then there got some point where I started doing martial arts and that, and so it's kind of been like 
that was some kind of, before I was making art or had gotten to some point of, you know, like finding my own voice creatively, I was always moving my body around. I think that's like kind of Mm. foundationally where I figure out what I'm feeling. Mm. It comes through through my body that's the way of me that's the way that I sort of process a lot of experiences and I think Mm. it's just because I've done it for so long in that particular way and um but taking yeah like I think I was in taking all these classes at community college and I was studying I kind of become really interested in in Chinese and I was learning Chinese And like how to write all the, you know, it was like speaking and writing. And I remember that I was going to, I'd gotten to a certain level and there was a grant that, um, it was sort of like you would go to China and, and you'd get your full ride paid for it. And then you'd have to go work for the state department after. (laughs) Uh And I was like, I was, um, I had kind of just, it was, there was all these, you know, I discovered raving and I was like staying up all night and had dyed my hair. I was being a hair hopper. And I remember I was wearing something that was kind of like a plastic bag. When I went into the interview, it was like some hooded thing and it was plasticky and I had not gotten much sleep. And I remember the woman looking at me and going like, what? one, she thought, I was, how old are you? And I think I was like 19 at the time. And she's like, you look much older. <laughs> I guess because I seemed so worn out or maybe I was really hungover, you know, that kind of like you're slogging along and yeah. letting off fumes. And um, and it was kind of a break. I remember walking out of there and going like, I don't want to do this. And mm-hmm. I don't. I don't actually want to go this direction. Mm-hmm. And it was a definitive break in terms of like, I was kind of trying to go some academic route and granted I was in community college. So it was like, there was a little bit of finite. I mean, I was, it was not like, anyways, I just started. I'm, that was a moment where I, I feel like I veered really, I took like a sharp pivot and started making clothes and what are, that's sort of what where, that's where it ended up going. And around the same time I met my brother's partner at the time, this writer, Laura Albert, who had this alter ego slash pen name. And I met her, she gave me the books and, or maybe I read them earlier. Anyways, I started meeting her up with her and Jeff and, and then eventually she asked me to play this, this, the body of her character, which didn't exist. He was a, a fiction that she created this character out of. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, so that was also a pivot point of, uh, that kind of coincided with deciding not to go learn Chinese for the state the department. State. Right. <laughs> yeah. Totally. I mean, I think, taking this full ride, for example. Right. Right. <laughs> it was appealing in some ways. Sure. Yeah. I but bet. also because when you're young or when you're that age, you really are, you're hoping someone will see you and mm-hmm. give you a sense of, you know, I, I did feel sort of bereft in the, I mean, as I think most 20 year olds yeah. do. Mm-hmm. 
just kind of like, where's my head and where's my ass? I'm not sure. Yeah. 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 It sounds like, you know, that again, the playing the character and it in some ways takes you back to, again, to your body and, and that there's something clarifying that happens when you are, you know, for you particularly, as you said, with, you know, martial arts and dance and even I'm thinking about like, you know, I, probably designing and making clothing is it's totally. all sort of about the body kind of leading in terms of your decisions and the direction in which you're taking yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. True. So I think, you know, I, this is just a little like disclaimer for the audience that there's, just a tremendous amount of information out there that is available. If you are interested in, um, in part of Savannah's journey, the JT Leroy journey. Um, but I do, I think that part of what, you know, I'm interested in talking about because it, it, you know, has, is just happening or has just happened and something that you've been part of, um, of late is, the way in which that aspect, that story Mm -hmm. and that character, you know, was recently translated into a film um, in which you were played by an actor. And so I just, the whole, I'd love to get into that um, as we're talking about the body, like these kind of duplications of um, Mm -hmm. bodies playing, you know, kind of playing characters and where, how you fit in all of that. And maybe you can give just a little context for the, the audience about, um, about the film. Surely. Oh, so subtle, Asher. I love, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so through meeting Laura and she was sort of looking for a body to play this character, JT Leroy, that she'd been actually living as for many, many years before over the, she would live over the phone and through email as this character and was writing books as this character. So then it got to some point where she thought maybe I, it's either like I can't not show up, show up to my life anymore as JT Leroy. And so she asked me if I would kind of casually play this body out in the world. And then, and that was something that we, it just seemed like, why not? I Mm -hmm. could do this for her. And, and then cut to six years later of playing this character. So I played him from 1999 to 2005, and I was 19 to 25. Mm-hmm. That was the chapter that I played this character. So then eventually a private investigator slash reporter put it together that Juki didn't exist and this and that. The whole thing came out in this very public way. Mm-hmm. Then later, I was going through, I'd never written anything down during the time. So I started sort of collecting all of my memories around this experience because in some ways, I had really externalized the experience. And I had been there the whole time and yet was not totally engaging with all of it, I think. And, and so as I went through... And wrote it down, I was kind of astonished at what a crazy ride I had just, I had 
you know, so it was like really trying to collect what had happened for me through this experience. So I put out a book in 2007, a memoir Mm -hmm. from my memories I wrote. And then I met this writer. I mean, um, I met this director, Justin Kelly in San Francisco and very slowly, like, you know, we kind of would run into each other and he asked me if I wanted to adapt it into a screenplay and then like kind of very, we have very organically, we decided to write it together. Mm. And, and so we adapted it and it took 10 years of our lives wow. to adapt it into this script and kind of all in all to get it to production. And it just came out last April, 2019. And um, it's called JT Leroy. And in it, Kristen Stewart is playing my character and Laura Dern is playing Laura Albert. And then there's some other great actors in it, Diane Kruger and Calvin Harris Jr. So yeah, the, I think it is a kind of process of translation and, um, you know, living an experience is so different than writing it from memory. And when you're writing something in memory, your memories are kind of so plastic in some ways. And yet, like there's these, these moments that you very clearly remember that I think point to what you care about in an experience and um but through translating it over and rewriting this script so many times and also Laura I mean um Lori Weeks wrote a draft of it mm. eventually we would yeah so shout out to Lori yeah She's shout out to Lori best, best best amazing writer and also amazing writer Zipper Mouth and also Lee Relvis did a mm-hmm. huge overhaul on the drafts as well mm, so also amazing but writer. it was kind of yeah amazing writer and um it was sort of like a kind of pass back like you know at first mm. we were trying to be very just and I were trying to be very follow the book and follow the order and be really kind of concise about all the different places because of course the trip as it goes on and on it's all about showing up to these public events. And so there's all these different like trips and things. And then eventually it's like, okay, you only need one trip mm. to kind of, so eventually the, the script itself was whittled down to one trip, one photo shoot, one, whatever the public, one reading, whatever the public event was that that was that this experience was sort of circling around. But memories then become even more plastic. Mm. So it would be it's like each form translates because of the form itself, it's translated into a very different experience every time, I think. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. also just in terms of trying to get to the the emotional trajectory that actually does not change throughout the mm. the different experiences of it. Yeah. What were you trying to get at or what do you what did you kind of land on in terms of, of that that felt resonant yeah. for you about the emotional trajectory the emotional experience? 
So to me, it really is the experience is so centered around this exchange with Laura, the writer, mm-hmm. and and also this this experience with in my actual life. It was uh, this filmmaker Ozzy Argento who wanted to make JT's work into a film, mm-hmm. and then as this came, there are these two different relationships that I think my experience keeps moving towards. And one is, or both of them have to do with feeling like, are you being seen or are you not? Mm. But, Mm. um, you know, with, with one of them, it feels very much like you are doing something for them and do they see you? It's basically, it centers around these relationships with these two people, which I think have to do with the kind of complexities of intimacy with another person and, and is it possible to feel seen by another person and can we really engage with one another, you know, honestly? And, and when you do, it's like, it's just, it's also about the messiness of that when you when you're actually trying to be with another person intimately. Mm-hmm. It's like all all of this merging is a tricky business. Yeah. <laughs> and so, what did you? That's I, sort of what. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess I'm just in terms that's, of that merging quality. You know, we can we can talk about this in any way you like, but I, I guess I'm curious how, as a as someone who's being depicted by another actor, like what how did how did that feel for you to presumably, I imagine Kristen Stewart spent time with you trying to understand you as a person and how to portray you and yeah I want that's its own kind of like messy intimacy that maybe you could speak to a little bit as well yeah I mean it's I think that that had the potential to be very painful just the way that Mm. it is painful to kind of see yourself in a recording or when you hear your voice on the phone it's like ah (laughs) yeah no but um, I think it does sort of feel like a miracle in that, or just great casting in that I felt like she really held this, the, all of the kind of complexities of my quote unquote character. And I felt really seen by her. And mm. that feels like a miracle just in terms of how, how, yeah how often we repel ourselves from ourselves yeah so my mom when she saw it she said Kristen is she really gets you and she's the James Dean of our time oh my (laughs) the way she kind of I think because what my mom saw probably was that she was moving so much like me and there were so many mannerisms but it's like I feel like what she's picking up on is this very physical way of mm-hmm. being someone else and yeah, yeah, all the kind of, yeah. 
I think that's, yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard from, we have, we know each other and have mutual friends and met and people who have seen the film and who know you well have also, you know, commented on how kind of alarming it was to watch <laughs> you being depicted by another person and to, to feel as if Kristen really picked up on the physicality of your presence because, I, you know, as someone who knows you as well, you know, like that, that is it's it's so specific, right? It's so specific um, for all of us, and to have someone yes. tend to attend to those qualities or the subtleties of of who you are. I, I mean, I'm I kind of can't imagine what that would feel like. As you said, it has the potential to be like a kind of a disaster and totally painful. But it, it sounds or... like yeah, it sounds like it actually somehow. I wonder how that, how maybe that shifted some kind of self-concept you had about yourself um, to see, to see and be able to see, I guess, your, your character depicted with a lot of care and nuance. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also because it was such a public outing at the time and at such a kind of a point in time when I think you're really trying to put together who you are and what you care about and how you mm. navigate the world that, that it was very healing to have this, to feel like somebody had understood you because in the press, I mean, at this point, I don't want to rail too hard on the press, but I do feel like the mainstream media never really took the, I mean, I think it has to do with, again, with form and that there's just not enough space maybe to totally understand what this story was about, but mm -hmm. that, that I, it never felt like anybody had gotten it right. Yeah. Um, so in some ways, Christian is through playing me, she's playing all of the, public facets of of me and then also yeah I think she did it with a lot of love and care mm. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah wow so yeah. this story broadly speaking this story has really been um a big part of your your adult life or your early adult life um I'm also curious to hear about the other aspects of your adult life. I am like, you know, what has been sustaining you and how maybe, I guess, specifically, I'm curious how, how movement has, um, and embodiment has sort of continued to be, um, a, a part of your life or a guy, a way of guiding you and helping you understand your emotional world. Um, like how is that playing out recently or, you know, in your, mm -hmm. your life now? So I think partly it's been played out through being a performer for other artists and having a really positive experience with that. Yeah. Because in some ways with Laura, it felt like it was just sort of like, okay, you give yourself up to someone, but then they don't actually honor the kind of relationship that, or that very, I think, tenuous and 
and vulnerable yeah. thing that happens when someone's in another person's work. <laughs> so I have, I feel like that's been great. And I recently I was in, there was a show about dance, about the Judson Dance Theater. And so I did, I was a, one of the performers for Simone Forti's pieces and we did it for six months and we trained with her and then it was about 20 of us maybe and it was that was like an amazing experience to do someone's work for six months Mm. and um and in such a public space and then also I've been as I mentioned before doing martial arts and I did sort of switch at some point and now I do Brazilian jujitsu and, um, that, which is a form of wrestling, it's grappling and it's submission grappling. And, um, can you describe that a little bit more? (laughs) What's really interesting. What that means. Yeah. The submission grappling. Yeah. I like that terminology. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, it's very techie, right? It's very (laughs) jargony. It's cool. Grappling, but basically jujitsu is, you know, there's like what you do if you're standing with someone and that's sort of traditionally that's judo. That's the, or originally there were all these different forms. So it's what you Mm -hmm. do on the, when you're standing with one another and then jujitsu traditionally was what happens when you get on, when you fall on the ground Mm -hmm. together, what can you do in conflict Mm -hmm. and in struggle and in this kind of art of conflict is how I always think of it. So Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a hybrid form of that where, so it's all groundwork. You're always on the ground and it's different than other kinds of wrestling in that you can really be a smaller body person. Traditionally, like your weight is very, you know, it's hard to, to, yeah, it's Mm -hmm. hard to kind of get anything going if you're much lighter than someone else. But in Jiu-Jitsu, it's everyone rolls with one another, every weight class, and um, you can dominate or you can kind of kind of um, eat up someone's space and get a submission from being on the bottom, mm. which is very unusual. And so you're doing, it's a kind of very mechanical thing. It's a kind of like a game of tapping like you do uncle or you tap mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that. So you're looking for a submission is a choke hold, something around the neck or a joint lock, which would be your arms or your legs. So you're kind of playing like, you know, with terms, like it's like a kind of very mechanical thing where it's like, uh Oh, if I don't tap, or it's, it's very like edge play ish. Mm. <laughs> if, if you don't tap, then, then there are, that's sort of what's making you tap that if you don't tap, you might hurt yourself or you might pass out. That is something that I incorporate into a lot of my work in terms of like, I've developed this performance called the tripod sweep, which is, I've been doing it now since 2014. I do it kind of whenever someone asks me to, but it's like, taking just one move from jujitsu and it's a kind of basic sweep where you merge with someone else's body. You put your foot on their hip 
and you kind of fall to the ground and you push and pull at the same time. And one of the things that to me is so fascinating about jujitsu is just how much nonverbal contact you have with another person, real contact, like intimacy. I mean, Mm -hmm. you share so much with someone else, but you don't talk about it, which is kind of weird and interesting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's all these people that I spend so much time with at this point that I just, I don't know anything about them. Yeah, like with their bodies, their sweat, their, yeah, yeah, everything. Right, everything. And, um, And so I guess in some ways it's a, I find it like it's a great, it externalizes a lot of the ways that I'm thinking about like some of these themes of the JT project that I was talking about where you're like, how can we be with, with one another? Yeah. And also I've made all the, like when I'm making sculpture, I think it's a similar thing where it's sort of like, how can you touch something enough to know it? Mm -hmm. There's a whole series of sculptures that I think that seem to be a part of this work or this body of work that are kind of a piece, they're pieces of furniture that are solid wood laminated two by fours together. And at first you can't, it's like I glue so many pieces together that I can't move it mm-hmm. at all. And that, that sort of totally freaks me out. It's like, oh, I'm stuck with this thing. And how do I, how can I be with this thing? And, and so then I carve it down into these rocking tails that are pieces of furniture that you sort of, you, they have these little imprints seats and you can sit on them and engage with the weight and rock and sort of feel your tail their concept mm-hmm. furniture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I feel like those are also connected to movement and sort of moving things around and the the kind of they're built in into these pieces are uh, all the time you spent with them. Right. And so the tripod sweep is, is also, I think, a part of that work. But ultimately, mm-hmm. it's all about this sort of practice of repetition and um, transmission and translation maybe too. Mm. It's also, it sounds like, you know, I mean, just I'm reflecting on what you said earlier about, you know, how long you actually played this character and then how long the film, you know, creating the film, there's a, there's something about kind of sticking with a project, um, mm. re- repetition of a pro, you know, repeating the the performance yes. piece and and kind of sticking with it in in the same way it sounds like the jujitsu, the practice or the the kind of sticking with that entails um, kind of bringing something up to its edge, right? You know, I mean, like really sticking with something Completely. until it 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 reaches some kind of conclusion, I guess. But um, I mean, I, I guess we could call this like, you know, broadly speaking, like durational work, but it's not, that's not exactly what it is. It's, I think it is about, yeah, it's like you repeat it until it becomes clear what it is. Yeah. <laughs> but you're figuring that out in the, in the process. I think that's just really interesting as someone, you know, myself as someone who's, who's like very much can, can get really lost in my head and, you know, really figuring, kind of sorting and figuring things out, um, intellectually and, 
coming to certain conclusions um, that are maybe disconnected from the like consensual reality or the outside world, you know, at times. And it sounds like, you know, you, you have a process um, or an approach that, you know, sometimes works for you where you really kind of invest your body into a process and then determine the meaning. Um, Right. Yeah. I think it is. um, Trying to recognize and sort of respect the language of the body, which I think is much, it's much more, well, it's just, it's a, a language that is unacknowledged for so many of us mm-hmm. and also culturally unacknowledged. And, and I think often we make work that we're trying to make, remind ourselves of something, mm-hmm. which is to kind of like, for me, I think it is about kind of reminding myself that, that, that this is a space that's generative, that's, mm-hmm. that I value, that I want to share with people and, and, you know, in turn for, for us to kind of be in that language together if it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, you know, I'm curious if in reflecting on that, that story you told me at the beginning of the the interview when you, you're, you know, you had this notion of who you, who you were kind of bound to be or what your, your organism was bound to, to do in the world. And, I don't know, knowing what you know now or what you kind of just reflected upon around the generative nature of, of your own body and its experiences and what's possible. I don't know. Is there something that you would maybe say or convey to that younger version of you? I mean, maybe it is about insisting on, on, on sort of, giving that that notion of someone who's doing the wrong thing in the world yeah giving it room to kind of do its thing <laughs> yeah like to play and it out kind of to play it out and to kind of insist on it and mm. and 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 give it you know give it room to not be villainized or mm. pathologized or whatever I mean, that might be one, one way of thinking about it. Yeah. But I do often feel like a lot of my work is about a kind of permissive space. And it's Mm -hmm. like that thing where you look at someone's haircut, you think that's the haircut you're going to give me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or the way that you're kind of, you want to share something, but actually it's to share, share with yourself and with others. Right. Yeah. Hmm. So we are about out of time, but I want to make sure that people can, there will be links in the show notes to the, the pieces that you, you described, but I, I want to hear a little bit about how people can find out about what you're doing and also about the film and how they can see it. So, um, I often, I post everything on Instagram and then I also have a website. Um, it's savannahcanoop.net. Yeah, maybe. And then my handle is at Sabat, S as in Sam, A-V, 
A T T T E triple T E and um, it's private, but I, I probably, it's just a kind of filtering for trolls (laughs) on the internet. So don't be dissuaded by that. And then, um, (laughs) and the film is on iTunes and um, I think it's on prime at this point, Amazon prime. Amazing. Yeah. So you can see it anytime. You can see it anytime. You can rent it. You can own it. I think there's a DVD Blu-ray coming out. Oh my gosh. <laughs> there's also Not a lot of like, really cool press that you did. Um, some beautiful images I saw with, I'm not sure which magazine it was, an interview with you and Kristen Stewart, the Collier yes. shot. Yeah. Yes. That was on 032C, oh, which yeah. is kind of an amazing German magazine. Yeah, that that was beautiful. Um, And that was also maybe that's as far as kvetching about the mainstream press and what, you know, that's like a piece that they let us do. I think it's a 4,000 word Mm -hmm. interview and we had no, there was no rules and it's kind of really special in that way. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's just talking frankly. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. As we are now. Cool. Blessings. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Savannah, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate Uh, it. Thank you, Asher. Thank you for this podcast. I'm just so happy that it's out here. I'm glad. Yeah. 